greet somebody beside of you, say good morning, say welcome, say glad to have you, say Merry Christmas. Ask about their week. Say, how was your week? Beautiful. Good morning, family, friends, homies, confidants. So good to see you all this morning. We are about a week and a half away from Christmas Day. A week and a half away from Christmas Day. I have good news for you, though. I shared this this morning that the worst day of the year, in case you did not know, in my opinion, is December the 26th. It's the day after Christmas. I hate it. I'm like, it's just gone. You know what I mean? It's like, oop, this is gone. But good news, though. In the Christian tradition, in the Christian worldview, um, Christmas is actually a season, not a day. So Advent leads us up to Christmas Day. And the night before Christmas begins what is known in the Christian tradition, a season called Christmas Tide, that lasts for 12 days. And that's where we get the 12 days of Christmas. And it leads up to January the 6th before we enter into a season of Epiphany where we see the arrival of Jesus as Messiah and he begins to do work and begins to do ministry. So I encourage you, if you've decorated, keep your your decorations up till January the 6th, okay? Just press deep into the season. That is Christmas. We have been journeying over the past couple of weeks in the season of Advent, which leads up to Christmas. Advent means arrival. It means to come. It means coming. And not only do we press into that manger moment, but we also are recognizing that Advent begins and kind of wraps up and ends the, the Christian calendar because now we look to the second coming of Christ. And that any moment the Lord could return in all his glory and all his splendor the same way that he ascended. So we live as though he resurrected yesterday and he's coming back tomorrow. And throughout this time, we have been embracing a tradition that's been happening in the church for a couple of centuries where we have, have lit a candle each week that has a representation. The first week, when Morgan taught, which Morgan did a great job that first Sunday, did she not? That first Sunday, we, let, we lit the hope candle. Last Sunday, we continued on our journey after recognizing that every bit of our understanding of Advent is rooted in the hope of Christ and his return. Last Sunday, we talked about Christ's love and that he is the embodiment of love. He is love personified, agape love, sacrificial love, not just this flippant secular worldview of what love is where we throw love everywhere, but this sacrificial giving of himself in love. And today, we journey away from the purple and into the third candle, which color is pink, which symbolizes celebration and excitement and, better yet, joy. So today, we light the joy candle. And as we light the joy candle, let's turn our attention to the screen, and we're going to participate in this responsive reading together. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Jesus, meet with us now as we move into the scriptures, the sacred text that we believe is divine authority, but also beautifully written in various types of literature. May it permeate our soul today, Lord. May it guide us. May it direct us as we journey along, not just today, but in everyday life. We thank you for your mercy and your grace and your love. Today, we look towards your joy. We thank you for the joy that you bring. We give you honor. We give you glory. We give you praise. And everybody said, amen. Amen. I want in your mind for a second, so close your eyes with me. In your mind, I want you to depict what Jesus looks like. I want, you to, I want you to depict Jesus. Get that image in your mind. Now open your eyes. A lot of us, if we're honest, when we think of Jesus, the person of Jesus, we typically think of paintings or artwork that we have seen that depict Jesus. And it was funny, this week I actually Googled Jesus paintings. 98% of Jesus paintings depict this serious, almost somber, mysterious-looking Anglo brother. And you're like, I don't even know if he'd be fun to hang out with, honestly. Let alone, he wasn't even white, okay? <laughs> so... <laughs> But we've grown up with this image in our mind that Jesus and happiness and joy don't typically go hand in hand. We think of Jesus as, as serious or even mysterious and, and not even like warm or welcoming or having a deep sense of joy. We've somehow brought our mind to a conclusion that joy is more closely connected to the season of Christmas than the person of Jesus. It's more connected. I know in our home we have decorations that say joy everywhere this time of year. It's more closely connected to the season of Christmas than to the person of Jesus. Let alone a characteristic of what it actually looks like in its truest form to follow in the way of Jesus. We don't think often that the way of Jesus gives us joy or happiness. We're thinking it's serious, it's hard, it's agony, it's challenging, it's suffering, it's pain. And yes, it encompasses all of that. However, today we press deeper into Luke chapter 1. In this moment here, or Luke chapter 2, excuse me, this moment here with the angels appearing to the shepherds. And before we even do that, though, before we even move into this idea of joy, I want us to understand something very quickly, that these angels were the very first evangelists in the New Testament. The very first evangelists in the New Testament were these angels showing up to some random field in Rockingham County, okay? Some of y'all are like, I'm from there. Stop, okay? 
These angels show up and they, they give us, in, in some translations, what is called good news or even good tidings, if you prefer the KJV. Okay? Good news. The word in the Greek is euangelion. It also is translated gospel. We see it all throughout the New Testament. Euangelion, good news or gospel. Some translations say good tidings. Eugene Peterson in the message says this. I love his articulation of this passage. It says, don't be afraid. I'm here to announce a great and joyful event that is meant for everybody worldwide. A Savior has just been born in David's town. A Savior who is Messiah and Master. Six decades previous to this announcement came a different announcement. Another announcement came to the people of Israel from a known Roman leader by the name of Julius Caesar. The Roman government was now the the kingdom reigning over the Jewish people. Gospel, the word gospel is kingdom and royal language. It is closely connected to kings and kingdoms. And it's a heralded announcement, heralded announcement language. And and 63 years before Christ, the people of Israel were taken captive by the Roman government by this dictator leader named Julius Caesar. Gospel, as we understand it, typically has to do with the good news that uh, actually you're bad, Jesus is good. He's entered into the story, created a bridge. We all know the drawing. We've seen the Romans road before, maybe growing up in vacation Bible school, right? We draw the cross in the middle. Jesus comes and he allows you to walk across. And the good news is that you can be saved. That's the good news. Now, is that good news? Absolutely. Is that the fullness of what the New Testament teaches is good news? It's not. The fullness of the New Testament, we're talking about the gospel, is actually tied to the rule and reign of Jesus as king and his kingdom. And there are implications in that kingdom which are salvation if we trust in him that he is king. It isn't so much that you can be saved but that Jesus is king. And in that kingdom, salvation is extended to us if we trust in Jesus. But in this period, six six decades before, this new rule and reign came oppression, strife, repression, tyranny, inequality. The Israel people became a minority community in the Middle East underneath the Roman rule and the reign of Julius Caesar. So when these angels show up to these shepherds in the middle of this field, they come making this kingdom announcement. But this is a new kind of announcement, announcing a new king, not just king of the Jews or the Messiah, which is said here, Messiah means Jewish king, the anointed one, the Christ, but also king of the world for all people, not just the Jewish people. That was something in Jewish theology and and Hebraic understanding of the return of the Messiah, that that Messiah was king for them, for their people, and yet Jesus comes in and he is king not only for the Jews but the entire world as we see here from the announcement of these angels where they say, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. I bring you euangelion. I bring you the gospel that will cause great joy for all the people. 
The gospel of Christ is a gospel that causes great joy. It causes great joy. In regards to joy, the first and foremost thing we have to understand as we look into this idea of joy is that joy is caused. So if you're taking notes, write that down. Joy is caused. It's not manufactured. Joy is caused, not manufactured. It comes from something or someone. You can't muster up joy. It is always caused, and it generates an internal response. It generates an internal response, but it is caused. Now, we often hear the conversation between the comparison between joy and happiness. And in some church traditions, depending on who you talk to, there's a weird tension between joy and happiness. And I think that is true if we're talking about happiness in the modern or secular understanding of what that means because happiness tends to be circumstantial and tends to be externally driven, right? At any moment, you can experience happiness, but that happiness might fade. It might go away. Happiness is more rooted in an adjective than it is a noun or even a verb, which we will see later joy is rooted in. It's kind of dictated by momentary pleasure. Dictated by momentary pleasure. Some days you're happy, other days you're not. Some days your coworkers drive you nuts, some days they don't. Some day your wife loves you incredibly and you're so happy, other days you experience a tiff or a challenge. Happiness tends to fade based on circumstances. It's, it's something that we grapple with in our society. The etymology of the word comes from the 16th century idea of good fortune. That's where we get the idea of happiness. It comes from the idea of good fortune. The word happy, actually, in the New Testament, you see the word only four times. Only four times in all of the New Testament. You see the word joy 61 times in the New Testament. Four times in Luke 1 and 2 alone. However, biblically speaking, the word we see most closely associated with happiness or with being happy is the word blessed. You need to write that down because we're changing vocabulary this morning. The word we see most associated with happiness is actually the word blessed. Think about Matthew 5, the Beatitudes. Jesus uses the word blessed over and over and over again. That word can also be translated happy. Happy are those who, happy are those who, blessed are those who, blessed are those who. The word in the Greek is the word makarios. And it appears 70 times in the New Testament. 70 times this Greek word makarios, translated blessed, appears in the New Testament. And the English word blessed comes from the idea of having favor upon you. So you ever heard someone say, I'm blessed and highly favored? You ever heard that before? It's funny because literally what they're saying is, I'm blessed and blessed. They're literally repeating the same thing. Blessed and highly favored is the same thing as saying, I'm blessed and blessed. That's what blessed and highly favored means. It's the idea of having favor upon you. Makarios, happiness, true happiness from a biblical standpoint. You ever met a Christian who's not happy? Honestly, some, some believers are just the most ornery people on the face of the planet. They're not happy. They're just mean, disgruntled. You know, you're like, have you ever even been saved? Like, honestly, have you been set free? 
Are you bound to something? Because you just don't look happy. What's, like, what's going on? You don't have any joy. When we look at joy in the New Testament, specifically in the first couple chapters of Luke, because we see it multiple times in this kind of introduction that Luke is giving into the birth of Jesus. The word joy is spelled C-H-A-R-A in the Greek. So you could say chara if you're English, but it actually is hara, okay, in the original language. And it means glad or cheer or delight. I love that. It's in the verb, delight. However, the root word is in the verb tense. The root word of joy, joy is a noun, but it's rooted actually in a verb which we translate rejoice. We translate it rejoice, to rejoice, to be glad, to be cheerful, to be well, to thrive. Joy, my friends, is something that is shown. It's something that is displayed. There's action behind it. So we mentioned a second ago that joy is caused, but joy is also expressed. See, happiness tends to be kind of self-centered in our traditional understanding of it. Joy is really rooted in something or someone else, and it is expressed. It's seen. It's shown. Friday night, I got to share this because it was one of the most thrilling experiences of my entire life. Friday night, I had my very first YMCA rec basketball game. Yes, my coaching career has begun. And I was challenged to wear a suit that night, but I wasn't allowed to. They wouldn't let me. So I'm going to work on that. I'm coaching 11 to 13-year-olds, right? And honestly, some of these kids are pretty talented. Some of them are terrible, just honest. And we showed up, and I'm looking at the other, because you know how coaches are. You're, like, looking at the other team, and you're like, oh, man, this is going to be rough. Like, you can just tell in warm-ups, right? You can just tell. Like, you ever go to, like, a high school game, and you see the teams warming up? You're like, this ain't going to be good. Mm-mm. Other, other teams got dudes, like, 6'8", look like they're 30. Tattoos, sleeves, cut. The other team's a bunch of white kids, 5'8", or shorter. You're like, this is tough. This is going to be tough. Can't even touch backboard. Pitiful, okay? So I'm looking at these guys. I'm like, okay, we're playing the Knicks, the Brian Knicks. Our team name is the Goats, okay? Stands for greatest of all time. Our kids had not a clue what that meant, all right? I'm like, we're going to be the Goats. They're like, what is that and why? Never felt so belittled by an 11-year-old in my life, ever. That was Chad Curran's idea, so Chad, that's on you. (laughs) We're rolling with it, baby, the Goats. So we're playing the Knicks. And this team's got at least three kids who are 11 to 13 years old above six feet. No joke. However, we have this nasty 2-3 zone that we play that the other team could not handle. It's aggressive, creates havoc, okay? So funny. The the, the other team, the guy would bring the ball across half court. It's like four foot across half court. I would yell, go. And the two guys at the top who are literally like four foot nine or something, they would just sprint at the ball handler and trap him at the half-court line. The guy's freaking out with the ball. He just kind of throws the ball. But see, the two bottom guys at the bottom of the zone, I'm teaching you basketball right now. It's incredible. The two bottom guys of the zone would then leak up, hoping to intercept the pass. Happened at least five times, 
okay? Turn them over all the time. It was amazing. Anyway, we get to the end of the game. There's about five seconds left. Somehow, I don't remember, we got the ball, and our point guard's dribbling up the court. He ends up getting fouled. 1.5 seconds left. We're down by three. My blood pressure is out the roof. I lost my voice. But I'm thinking in this moment, okay, this was a good game. This team was better than us. We hung in there tight, but we did not win. But he gets fouled. We're shooting two free throws, double bonus. So Jordan, I said, Jordan, come here. Jordan, listen, you're going to make the first free throw. You're going to intentionally miss the second one. We're going to get the rebound. We're going to put it back up and in. We're going to tie this game up. I'm like, we're done. It's over. You know, he, he's going to brick this free throw, whatever. Goes to the line, 11-year-old kid. He's got sleeves on. He's got, like, all these, he's got some kind of new, I don't even know what the shoes he had on. But he, he, he takes a couple dribbles. She, cash, nails the first free throw. I'm like, okay, we got a chance. <laughs> got a chance. I'm not even kidding. This is real life. It was on ESPN. It's wild. All right? No joke. <laughs> Second free throw. He shoots it. The kid's 11 years old. He misses it perfectly. Bounces off the front of the rim into the middle of the lane. Our guy gets the rebound, throws up some random shot, crazy shot. It goes in at the buzzer. We tied the game up. 24-24. People on the sideline were jumping. I thought I was in the final four. It was nuts. I'm not even, you talk to Coach, Coach Ryan. That's what we call him, Coach Ryan. Talk to Ryan. He was there with me. Insane, okay? I'm dying, about to have a heart attack on the floor. And we go to overtime, and the last 30 seconds, we were able to knock down a couple of free throws to put us ahead. We won the game 30 to 27, okay? 30 to 27. But when we won, there was so much joy inside of me. I was so filled with happiness, I couldn't even breathe. I mean, I was, I, I was like Tiger Woods. Like, I mean, I just was so pumped, man. So much joy, and I expressed that joy. The kids were jumping up and down. Parents are going nuts, man. It's incredible. So much joy it was inside of me for those kids in that moment. And it was shouted for What was the last time you encountered the presence of God and you just shouted for joy? You're so good. I don't deserve any of this. I'm blessed and highly favored. I'm blessed and blessed. When was the last time? When was the last time that the Lord brought you to joy? Luke chapter 1, verse 39 through 45 says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Elizabeth was her cousin. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb. This baby is John the Baptist. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of the Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. John the Baptist, in the womb, leaps for joy. Blessed or happy is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. The baby leaps for joy, knowing that this is Mary, the mother of the Son of God. 
Philippians 4, 4, Paul's very clear. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, he says. Rejoice with an exclamation point. I mean, if he was texting, it would probably have been 10 exclamation points. Rejoice. I say it again. Rejoice. Rejoice. Paul, in this moment, is locked in shackles in prison, calling the church in Philippi to rejoice. Not once, but twice, he says, rejoice in the Lord. He says it in Philippians 3 as well. Paul, locked up in prison, says rejoice in the Lord. Zephaniah chapter 3. How many of y'all ever read Zephaniah? Can I get, come on, right? It's one of you. Okay. Zephaniah 3.14 says, Sing, daughter Zion. Shout aloud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. Here, joy is connected to singing and shouting. I was watching a video the other day of a conference where a pastor gets up and he says, we're going to do something kind of different. So we're going to start out with one of the most simplistic prayers known across the history of the church. We're just going to say, come on. He's like, I'm going to count to three, and we're just going to say, come on. And you're going to yell us. And I'm not talking, come on. No. I'm talking about like Jesus has actually won the battle, not like he hasn't gone in yet. You know what I mean? Because some of you are like, yay, you know. So on the count of three, we're going to do that today. Participation points, all right? You don't have to be good or great, but I want you to shout for joy this morning as if you have eternalized the joy of the Lord. We're going to say, come on. You got me? This is fun, right? It's like youth group in the 90s, all right? It's cool. All right? <laughs> so here we go. Count to three. You're going to say, come on. You got me? Don't be messing it up like my kids do Friday, all right? Here we go. Count to three. One, two, three. Come on! Yeah, way to go, guys. That's pretty good. We got a charismatic bunch. You go into the Presbyterian church, come on. Right? <laughs> don't get too excited, okay? Don't get too excited. We express joy. It honestly feels great to know and to express the joy of the Lord. Biblically speaking, there is a tight parallel between joy and being blessed or even being happy. Jesus actually comes to offer happiness. Yes, life is hard. Yes, there is pain. Yes, there is suffering. Yes, there is surrender. But in that, Jesus gives us the fullness of joy. Joy is actually a fruit of the Spirit. If you experience someone who's a believer that doesn't have much joy, that's a Holy Spirit conversation. But when we think of Jesus, when we think of the way of Jesus, we don't tend to think of the joy that he causes. We don't think of happiness that he brings. We think, oh, no, happiness, bad, happiness, culture, happiness, not us. It's not all true. Jesus is the fullness of what it means to be blessed and the fullness of joy. Jesus, you know, would have been someone that you wanted to be around. He'd been someone who was just, he had an attractive personality. Like you would have wanted to be around Jesus. There, was, there would have been a radiance about Jesus. He would have been full of joy. Why? Because joy is a fruit of the Spirit. And he is the fullness of the Spirit. Of each of the 12 fruits, as a matter of fact. And, I mean, Jesus loved kids, and kids loved Jesus. Jesus is hanging out with kids. Kids love being around Jesus. One of the paintings I saw was kids all around Jesus. What kid wants to hang out with a grumpy old man? Or a grumpy person at that? I mean, Jesus loved. You guys seen the movie yet? 
incredible. Need to watch it, okay? Talk about joy. You'll be changed, all right? People love being around Jesus. He wasn't a stick in the mud. Some of us are sticks in the mud. You need to experience joy. John 15, 11, Jesus says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Some of us don't have complete joy. We got 25% joy, 30% joy, 50% joy. Some scholars even believe that Jesus had a sense of humor. Now, we read an English translation. We, we lose some of, it in, some of it in the translation. But some of the things that Jesus said in the first century would have been humorous. It would have been funny. Jesus probably laughed a lot. He made jokes. He was funny. When we experience Jesus, his presence, and follow his teachings, we should experience joy, delight, goodness, cheerfulness, smile even. Can you smile? Express the joy of the Lord. C.S. Lewis says this, if you want to get warm, you must stand near the fire. If you want to be wet, you must get into the water. If you want joy, power, peace, eternal life, you must get close to or even into the thing that has them. Jesus is joy. We must be in and dwell in and abide in Jesus. Randy Alcorn has a book called Happiness. He says, good-hearted laughter is a tribute to the happy God who created laughter and delights to enter into it with us. On the seventh day, the Lord looks back at all his creation and he delights in it because it's good. In Luke chapter 2, good news has come to the world. A new king is in town. A new rule is in place with this announcement. Not only is joy and happiness a normative part of his kingdom, but he desires that we would be happy. He desires that we would experience joy because it is rooted in our eternal hope of Christ's second advent, let alone his first coming. It is rooted in hope. Joy is always rooted in hope. Joy is always rooted in hope. It requires a commitment. Traditionally, we think of happiness as an, an emotion or a feeling. And throughout the scriptures, it certainly can play itself out in that, but it transcends emotion and feeling. Joy is a condition of the heart. It is a new kind of condition of the heart. Romans 12, 12 says this, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, meaning that this world will throw things at you. There will be trials and tribulations. Maybe you're going through one today. Maybe there's affliction and strife and struggle in your life today. I'm calling you to be joyful in hope, patient in your affliction. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10, this is the NLT translation. It says, our hearts ache, but we always have joy. We are poor, but we give spiritual riches to others. We own nothing, and yet we have everything. See, the upside-down way of the kingdom is that amidst the oppression in the first century, you can experience the fullness of Christ's joy because the hope we have in him that he has conquered all things and that he will return. That is what roots our hope. Three years ago, my grandmother was um, in the hospital in her early 90s, and she was on what we thought was her last leg. And 
my grandmother has been faithfully following the way of Jesus for about five, six, seven decades. And my dad and I are there, and I'm pretty broken. I was pretty close to my grandmother. Call her Mamaw. Any Mamaws that you guys call in here? Yeah, there we go, Mamaw. Okay. <laughs> Don't judge me, okay? And I'm having a conversation with my grandmother, who, who has been such a saint in my eyes for so long. And I see her on her deathbed. But there's this weird sense of joy in my grandmother. And I remember talking to her that day. She's laid in bed. Jordan was there with me. My dad was there. And in that joy, she said, I'm ready to go home. With a smile on her face, she said, I'm ready to go home. I've served the Lord faithfully. I followed the way of Jesus. I'm ready to be with him forever. I'm ready to be with him for eternity. That's joy. That's joy that Christ brings. In the midst of affliction and challenge and pain and suffering, she was able to have joy. Now, thankfully, the Lord spared my grandmother. She's now 95 years old. <laughs> I honestly, that moment just meant so much to me. That I don't want to die. There's a commonality amongst all of us. We all will. So what do we cling to amidst that reality? We cling to the reality that Jesus is Lord. That he is coming back again. If we trust in him, our physical bodies may waste away, but our soul will live on forever. And our bodies will be glorified and we'll experience eternity. We can have hardship and still experience joy because it is an eternal and internal substance that is rooted in something that is eternal. Joy is caused, joy is expressed, and joy is eternal. Jesus has no succession plan, friends. He is the plan. It isn't temporary. It's steadfast. Joy is steadfast. It isn't rooted in circumstances, but rooted in an eternal, infinite hope and the implications of Christ and his kingdom. Joy requires a commitment to the hope that in the darkness, in the word of Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. I've never been one to think about getting a tattoo, but if I got something on my body, a new light has dawned, or a light has dawned. In a really hipster spot on your forearm, you know. Something like, I just got one a couple weeks ago. <laughs> a light has dawned. Cody, I'm going to get you to come up and play the keys and usher in the Holy Spirit as we close, you know. That's how you do things at church. <laughs> Joy and happiness, though, is not something that we pursue. And unfortunately, we live in a society that screams life, liberty, and the pursuit of what? Happiness. The pursuit of happiness is a self-defeating prophecy. 
pursue something that is temporary. And you can't pursue something that is caused by something or someone else. You must pursue something or someone else. Something that causes happiness or causes joy. And that for us is Christ Jesus. Sin is a lie that says, this gives me more sense of happiness than Christ himself. This addiction gives me more happiness than Christ himself. This girl that I'm fooling around with gives me more happiness than Christ himself. My bank account gives me more happiness than Christ himself. My job gives me more happiness than Christ himself. How many followers I have on Instagram gives me more happiness than Christ himself? It's a lie. And the Lord is jealous. And he gets angry, not because he doesn't like us. He gets angry as if to say there is this drug dealer who keeps bringing his children with him like a mom who stays up late crying, angry at this drug dealer who keeps showing up at the crib, knocking on the door, wanting her son or daughter. He gets angry because he loves us. His anger and his wrath is actually out of love for us because he wants us to experience the good and happy life, the life full of joy, to not give in to the lie. Pursuit of happiness is also known as hedonism. Hedonism is rampant in society and it is defined as the pursuit of pleasure or sensual self-indulgence. But momentary pleasure, as we all know, doesn't last because when you wake up, the pain doesn't necessarily go away. Suffering is there and the challenges are there. We see that all throughout the New Testament, but in the midst of trials and tribulation, we have joy because of hope in Christ Jesus. A.W. Tozer says, the pain of sacrificing our old selves is nothing compared to the joy of Christ living in us in our transformed lives. The transformed life is actually the happy life. It's the good life. It's a life of joy. And it isn't necessarily something to be pursued. Christ is something that we pursue. And in that pursuit of the way of Jesus, we experience joy, Advent, where our joy stems. It isn't so much a feeling as a condition of the heart. And some of you came in here today empty of joy. Empty of joy. In 1719, Isaac Watts wrote one of the most famous Christmas carols as we know it today, the song Joy to the World. Sung all the time at Christmas. It was originally written during a time of darkness and despair in London and written based out of Psalm 98 that we read earlier. Sing to the Lord a new song. Shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. However, this song wasn't written to be a Christmas song originally. It was written looking at the glorious second coming of Christ in the midst of the darkness. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her. Today when we will see Christ return. It'll be glorious, and that is where our joy comes from. Randy Alcorn says we should thank God for every stream of joy in our lives while recognizing that Christ is the ocean from which every stream flows. Maybe you don't have joy today. 
maybe you think the way of Jesus isn't full of joy and you're like, this is not even fun or happy or there's no joy in this, but you're missing out. This is actually the good life, the happy life, the fullness of joy. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you today that you're in our midst. We thank you for your love and for your mercy, for your goodness, and for your joy. Thank you that we are blessed. We are blessed people in the kingdom. And we dig deep into the soil of our pain and suffering and find the diamond in the rough that is joy rooted in hope. Thank you for your love and your mercy that you pour out on us. Thank you for your grace. Continue to pour it out as we press deeper into the Advent season, looking next week at your peace and ultimately your arrival on the scene in Bethlehem. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 I was convicted by something so.